When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. season game after game and after the woeful start in September and October Manchester United grew to be excellent at winning against the bottom 14 not anymore a 1-1 draw to West Brom follows shock defeat to Sheffield United and a draw to Everton and now Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's side will have to do something they've been unable to do in the league this season and that's beat fellow members of the top six to make up for dropped points with upcoming games against Chelsea and Manchester City the opportunity will be there to do so and it's a setback for United and for Solskjaer not one that requires an inquisition into the whole team, club and coaching staff, but one which disappoints and frustrates. United were passive at the Hawthorns in defence and attack, and they left with a point when they deserved little more. Welcome back to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, where the mood, I think, could be summed up by a comment sent in by one of our patrons, Michael Byatz, who said, is there anything more to be said after that than ugh? But I mean, there is a little. We're talking West Brom, West Ham, the FA Cup, and in the middle of the show, before a preview of Thursday's Europa League game against Real Sociedad, you'll get your extensive youth loan and women's roundup. Shola Shoratire and Joe Hugo are amongst the goals again as badge kissing Charlie McNeil scores four in the Manchester derby. Jack, first team first. And let's start with, I think, the word, the, the most important word I used in that introduction, which was passive. All over the pitch, uh, it, uh, starting with the defence. We're in a funny situation where we have to say that VAR should have ruled out West Brom's goal. But because we've seen this before from Lindelof, you also feel you have to say this is a weakness of his. And the, 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 it's that tricky kind of balance, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, th- I think the goal should have been chalked off for VAR, especially when you look at Maguire's disallowed goal at Burnley, that to me was far less contact and, and far less than what was seen in this incident. But ultimately it shouldn't matter. As you said, this is not an isolated incident for, with Lindelof. And despite the fact that this should have been a foul, it speaks again to the fact that teams feel they can target him physically because he can be bullied. 
especially in the air, he can be beaten from crosses. He is susceptible to being physically just out, out muscle. Yeah. And it happened a few times against West Brom. They clearly had a plan to target that with Deanne up front, which they did pretty well. I, I, the problem is you don't want to be too harsh because ultimately it was unlucky. But at the same time, we can't just keep accepting these mistakes happening again and again. Yeah. Because again, it's not an isolated incident. This is a pattern now that's been going on for quite a long time. Teams know how to attack Lindelof. They know how to attack Maguire. And as we've been saying now for a few weeks, as this has come more and more into the spotlight, as a partnership, they don't do enough to cover each other's weaknesses. Yeah, and I think that's a problem. But it was also the defensive as a whole. Lindelof is not good enough in the air. He can just, I mean, in this case, just simply be moved out of the way. And sometimes it's illegally as it was against West Brom, but other times it's legally and, and it's just mistakes. And that also leads to goals and has done in the past. And that's a weaknesses of, uh, of Lindelof. But United, and this comes down to the back five as a whole, also the midfield partnership of McTominay Fred and also the, the wingers tracking back as well as the management team and the coaching staff and just uh, the, the tactics they used. But United just allowed West Brom to do what they like, which is cross and be physical. And it needed defenders to be proactive and stop crosses and a goalkeeper to come and claim any crosses that came in. And if he didn't, then defenders to meet them early. And none of that happened. We didn't meet crosses early. We didn't tackle early and, and stop them coming in. We didn't prevent the counterattacks from happening. None of that happened. And that is why I use the word passive in defence. And... It, 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 that's the problem and it, 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 it trans when you then look at the attack as well it all comes together and it's this whole performance where the whole thing was just passive and, and, and too relaxed and um, I, I don't think it was a matter I'm not I don't think it was a matter of being complacent I think it was just a, kind of just a poor performance yeah passive really is just the, the word of the day for that West Brom performance in defence, we didn't engage them high enough up the pitch. When we gave the ball away, we were slow and lethargic to get back. And and you're right, Lindelof will get the attention. And I think it's fair enough given the state of that goal. But it wasn't just him. It, it, it was the entire team. We, we just didn't seem at the races for the entire game. In defence, we were far too happy to let West Brom bring the ball forward. And that was part of the issue, and especially in the first half. There was really only one moment where we were we were in attack and managed to really pen West Brom back. Part of the issue was that when we would give the ball away, which would happen a lot, as it inevitably does when you're trying to create against a low block, West Brom were far too easily able to get out and spring attacks because we weren't engaging with them high enough up the pitch. Fred and McTominay were not good enough at trying to shut down those spaces as soon as West Brom picked up the ball. The likes of Fernandez who usually is amazing at tracking back, wasn't quite on it quite so much, maybe because he was pushing further up the pitch. Shaw and Wan-Bissaka weren't getting back quickly enough. It was it was a whole team collective effort that we just weren't good enough defensively. We let West Brom have far too much freedom. And I, actually, I think if we're honest with ourselves, probably let them have the better chances of the game. And maybe we're lucky actually to come away with anything from this game in the end. Yeah, it's true. They had their chances and... I mean, it infuriated me to hear Sam Allardyce saying, uh, claiming afterwards and crowing afterwards that uh, West Brom deserved to win the game, which I don't think was true, but they, they certainly had their chances. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was. And it's, 
again, it's it's that strange balance where United had, look, they're not defensive midfielders, but they, they kind of seem like it sometimes. Fred and McTominay, two of them on the pitch, and yet it was so easy to come out. And I think that there, there was problems all over and it, it, that comes down to individual weaknesses again, but also the team's tactics because Harry Maguire has a tendency to kind of dive in early on in the counter-attack and leave his teammates isolated. Shaw is not particularly quick. Wan-Bissaka is not particularly quick. Lindelof is not quick. And, and McTominay and Fred can help recover, but don't. And they're not good at shielding and they're not, they, they haven't got a good awareness at spotting counter-attacks before they've been initiated and they're not good at covering those spaces to prevent them. So yeah, there's, there's those individual mistakes, but those are also things that have to, the coaching staff have to change for and adapt for and, and make the team different. And perhaps it was a game for, for Nemanja Matic to start and to shield the back line properly. And then you could have had Matic, you could have had the, the trust of Matic deeper, even though he's horrendously slow. Um, and then with that trust, then you have to be braver going ahead and you have Van der Beek or Juan Mata in the lineup ahead of Fred. Because it's, as I say, in attack, just too passive. It, it, it ended up requiring Harry Maguire to step out of defence. That's an indictment of, of what was going on. The, the ball had to be moved much quicker. United were just letting West Brom sit in that low block without really challenging, without stretching them. And it, it comes back to the same issues we've always had. We need a world-class defensive midfielder. We need a right winger to help stretch. There were off days for Cavani and Martial. There were off days for Fred and McTominay and, and Bruno, actually, and Rashford. But it as a team, it needed someone to to up the tempo and we didn't have that there's a great graphic on Twitter uh, I'm not sure of the exact account I'll try and find it and tweet it after the uh, we record the the podcast there's a great graphic on Twitter showing heat maps of where Fernandez picks up the ball when he plays with Fred and McTominay versus when he plays with Pogba and Matic and he's he's picking the ball up so much higher up the pitch when he plays with Matic and Pogba it's so concentrated in that area between the lines up sort of on, just on the edge of the box or around the, the, the D. When he plays with Fred and McTominay, it, it's all all over the place, really. It's really spread out. It's not that concentrated patch just outside the box in between the lines. And, I, and the reason, I think, is that with Fred and McTominay, you know, I don't think they were particularly awful against West Brom. They didn't make too many mistakes, but they offer... They don't, what they lack is that they, they lack the creativity, that ability to, to launch attacks from that deeper midfield position, which means that the likes of Maguire is then having to step out so much or the opposite in that Fernandez has to come so deep to pick up the ball because the creative responsibility falls almost entirely on his shoulders at that point. And when he has having to come that deep, one, it means our, our most dangerous player is not in and around the box. You know, our, at the moment, our biggest goal scoring yeah. threat Two, it means it's it's just more difficult for him to create from there. It's far easier to create chances if you're on the edge of the box versus, you know, barely over the halfway line. And three, it's sort of a another point that, that goes with this is that Fernandez, we all know, gives the ball away a lot. And he's yeah. going to do that regardless of whether he picks the ball up on the edge of the box or just inside West Brom's half. The difference, though, is if he gives the ball away on the edge of the box, when West Brom win the ball back, they've got 80 yards to go to get to our goal. But when he gives the ball away, when he picks the ball up inside, just inside our own half, suddenly it puts us in a much worse position. So yeah, it's it's also it's on Fernandez that he's losing the ball so much, but he's only having to come that deep because Fred and McTominay lack that creativity, that ability to launch us into attacks from deep. 
that we get when when Matic and to a much bigger extent Pogba play. It's it's tough. It's a it's a difficult situation because we want Fernandez involved as much as possible, but you want him involved in the right areas of the pitch. You want him involved further up. You don't want him to be having to be forced to come that deep because it's not where he's most effective. I mean, I I just think the biggest indictment in this game, top teams every season we see games like this where they they can't break down a deep block. And usually it's because of a combination of poor finishing, some heroic last-ditch defending, or an inspired goalkeeping performance. You know, you see it every year. That alone is not the end of the world. The bigger problem for me is that throughout this entire game, West Brom, for 88 minutes, were basically just saying, come on then, attack us. And we created two chances. Yeah, I mean, uh, and there there was... It's another difficult one. We've said all season, five margins, and this... This was one that very we very easily could have just scraped very fortunately and come away with kind of not not a happiness but a relief had Sam Johnson not got to Maguire's late header. There was another uh, chance where I can't remember who hit the first one, but Johnston came it was, up. It was Greenwood and then Greenwood and then McTominay, uh, two cleared off the line they could have gone in. And I think the truth actually is... But then you look at it the other way, in that West Brom also had three in the yeah. second half amazing chances. It were probably better than anything that we created. Yeah, although I don't... Uh, they they just missed theirs, whereas these yeah. were actually denied. If I, Yeah. Um, and, and But yeah, it, it, it's a tricky one because I almost think we got that kind of fortunate moment of magic with the Bruno Fernandes goal. And that in another reality, that would have been enough to take, give us a fortunate one nil win at West Brom that wasn't good, but was at least three points. The problem was just the, the early defensive mistakes, but then throughout. So even though that Lindelof goal should have been ruled out, it, I think we would have, con- I mean, we kind of deserved to concede anyway, given the number of chances we gave to a team that aren't particularly good. Um, so... Yeah, it, it, for me, it, it doesn't need a a big inquisition. It doesn't make me question the the whole setup of the club as some defeats do and as some fans might feel. I, we're disappointed because we're falling off in a title race, which we thought we'd never be in. And the truth is that only City are, str- are not struggling at the moment. And it's a shame that we are struggling. And I think we're doing so when it's avoidable sometimes, which is what's most frustrating. But it is the nature of this season. This is a, it is what it's, I mean, it's, it's a week where you play three games and one of them's 120 minutes and there's not been that much rotation. And that it's, for me, it's not particularly surprising, even though it's so frustrating. And, and, and the other truth is the bigger picture is not bad. We've got more points in our last 38 games than in any other 38 game period under Solskjaer. And then again, on the other hand, this last six games, a massive missed opportunity, six points from 15 in a pretty easy run, which included games against Sheffield United, Southampton out of form, West Brom, and then Everton and Arsenal. It's, it's, it's a missed opportunity, but not a bigger picture is not so bad. I mean, I think big picture, if you're looking at it over the span of the last 12 months or the last season's worth of games, no, it's not that bad. But I think if you're looking at it, bigger picture, let's say since the turn of the new year, I think there is a right to be worried, not 
not because of the West Brom game in isolation, but having seen us huff and puff just about past Fulham, lose to Sheffield United, draw to West Brom, huff and puff past West Ham as well in the in the FA Cup where we needed extra time. You know, the, the West Brom performance alone yeah. is not the end of the world, but it, it it speaks to larger problems that this team has at the moment. I mean, we've now taken 10 points from our last seven Premier League games. And that's included, all right, I know games against Liverpool and Arsenal away, but that's included games against all of the bottom three. And we've taken four points from those three games against the bottom three. I mean, that that just can't be, that can't be right. I mean, we've we've had a, beaten a team 9-0 for, you know, a game that comes around once in a blue moon. And yet, really, when you look at it, the last couple of weeks overall have, have been pretty poor. I, I think the, the, the biggest frustration to me is just that, when you look at the fixtures we've had the last, say, a month, we really should have second place sewn up by now. Leicester and Liverpool, in particular Liverpool, have been faltering massively. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly, at this point, I'm not that interested in, in City. They've won 15 games in a row, which is just a, a standard that's unable to be matched. And that's fine. I'm more concerned with ourselves. And we should have second sewn up by now. We could be 10 points ahead of Leicester. You know, if we have held on at Everton, beaten Sheffield United, beaten West Brom, all of a sudden you're looking at seven more points, eight more points that we would have gained from those games, which is huge. I just, it's, the, I do agree with you that on a, the, the long-term arc of the last sort of year, year and a half is, is still very good. We're still progressing as a team. But I think the last few weeks are worrying because it has been repeated mistakes and you wonder if we we spoke a few months ago saying that we couldn't keep conceding early on in games yeah. because eventually it would come back to, to haunt us and I think we're starting to see that the other side of that coin now. and I think is is as we've is as the the impact of such a intense season is catching up on us as Bruno Fernandes is looking yeah, more and more absolutely. knackered and the same is true with injuries to to Pogba and I mean I I really Pogba would have changed that game against West Brom either as a starter or off the Massively. bench uh, a massive miss um, and it's a bit of a cycle as well because we've talked all season about how much of a pleasure it is to have a team that has pretty good squad depth but then the issue is that a few bad performances for those players you look at West Ham in particular in the cup where we played pretty poorly with a team that was Still relatively strong, but had rotated a few players. Now you're looking at the bench and you're thinking, you've got Van der Beek, who just looks like his confidence is on the floor, despite, I don't think, playing that badly at any point. You've got Martial, who's in pretty bad form. And then all of a sudden, Greenwood, who hasn't, has actually been, I think, doing quite well in the last couple of weeks, but over the course of the season hasn't looked at his best. All of a sudden, that squad depth doesn't look quite as reliable now, yeah. especially when Fred and McTominay haven't played particularly <laughs> yeah. well recently. And, and now we're getting back to, you know, how we were after Project Restart back in yeah. June and July of last season when it's like, well, can we drop any of these players? That are getting I, think, fired? I think the pop, I th- actually, now I think about it, I think the Pogba absence is pretty big because it's put all the oh, onus yeah, back onto Bruno Fernandes. It means we only have, but because I remember, I think we had a conversation in December probably not 100% sure, but about how we we now had two midfield options, Matic and Pogba and Fred and McTominay. And actually, over the course of December and January, that suddenly became more when Pogba started to play well in all sorts of positions. 
um, it became possible to have Pogba and McTominay or Pogba and Fred or, uh, or, or Fred McTominay and then Pogba on the right or the left. And so you've got this twofold thing of the midfield is massively weakened and there's fewer options and fewer possibilities to rotate. The onus is all on Bruno Fernandes again. And Cavani is getting less service. Rashford and Martial are getting less service. Um, and United have less aerial, uh, less aerial presence in, in both boxes, which is another thing is, that's probably noteworthy. So Pop has been a big miss. I saw an interesting, I saw an interesting thing on Twitter to move on from the Popper thing saying Solskjaer has done well reshaping the squad, but not well enough transforming the team. And someone in reply is saying, is that the movement from step one to step two? Which I thought was an interesting way of looking at it. Step one, remoulding the squad, bringing in quality, getting rid of dead wood. Step two, transforming the team. Now, ideally, you'd have both of those things happening at the same time. And to, to be fair, to an extent, they have. You know, the the style of play at United has changed. There's been a change in in the quality of the personnel, and I think in in the team to an extent. But it it feels like there needs to be quite a significant change in United's identity in terms of how they attack and patterns of play in attack, as well as how the team is set up to defend, which is, as we've said over the last few weeks, the team is not good enough defensively. And that does come down to the coaching staff as well as the individuals. I don't think this coaching staff as a, as a whole are particularly good at setting United up to not concede goals. Um, but the idea of step one to step two is an interesting one. It is. I like that as a as a way of looking at it, actually, because you are right. In a when you look at it from where we were, say at the end of last season, things definitely have got better. And this is not only a team that is playing better, but a squad that looks much better set up for the future. I also do agree that the coaching staff now needs to take a step up alongside the players because. This is where coaching really, really matters when you're in a bit of a, not necessarily a rut of form, I wouldn't say we're in a rut, but you know, not playing our best for reasons that are being repeated now, whether it's conceding sloppy goals from set pieces or crosses, from Lindelof getting bullied, from Maguire not having enough pace or not, not being able to break down deep blocks. You know, all these things are, are problems that we've known that United have had for a long time. And this is where you make your money as a coaching staff. It's how do you overcome those problems? How do you change things? How do you figure out how to play in a way that not only highlights the strengths of everyone in your team as an individual, which I think Solskjaer has been pretty good at over the course of his time at Man United. I think most of the players, especially our best players as individuals, have played very, very good football. I think the issue now is how do you get to a point where you can have those individuals still playing at a very high level, but having them complement each other, having them playing in a system that is more cohesive than what we've seen so far. And it's, it's difficult. There's a reason why, you know, top managers around the world are sought after so much and why there's so few of them. It's difficult to do, but I think watching this game, and I know this is a bit of an unrealistic comparison to be making at this point, based on where the two teams are, but, you know, watching this West Brom game just under 24 hours after watching Man City play against the Tottenham team who were also content and determined to sit in a low block. And it's just completely different. Look at the way that the movement, I think, is the, is the biggest, biggest thing in that the, the Man City team is so well drilled to understand how they should be moving, how they pull defenders apart and how they create space, yeah. not even necessarily for themselves, but for their teammates. 
And again, I'm not saying that this Man United team needs to be that good at this moment. Man City are a team that have won 15 games on the bounce, which is not a standard this United team will be getting to anytime soon. But you want to just see us take some strides towards building that kind of understanding, building those kind of systems going forward and in defence, but especially going forward. That, to me, is the big step that we need to take so that we aren't quite so reliant on give it to Rashford, let him beat a man, or give it to Fernandez, let him play an amazing pass. It's how do you yeah. how do you create more space for yourself so that those opportunities come up seven, eight, nine times a game it's instead more of two of, or three times a game. Yeah, and it is, uh, I think the one time we see it is the, the consistent attacking pattern of play that we've seen on the Solskjaer is that switch of play on the counter-attack, the early switch, which yeah. I remember in January 2019 against Spurs when we played with the split strikers, I think it was with Rashford and Martial. Um, yeah, it was. And and we, we, I think for for the goal, it was that switch over and we've seen it against Liverpool as well before, but also Liverpool in the recent 3-2 FA Cup. And that is one consistent pattern of play all throughout Solskjaer's era. It, I think what we're asking for is, is more of those, more types of those and, and seeing yeah. it more often. Um, I think that, that pushes home the point. Right, we'll, we'll go to our youth and women's roundup and then we'll be back to talk a Real Sociedad in the Europa League and Newcastle in the Premier League. Right, time for your youth alone and women's roundup. Uh, under 23s first, goals from Harvey Neville, Joe Hugo, and Shola Shoratire gave Manchester United a comfortable and deserved 3 0 win against Arsenal on Friday night. The Reds had a man advantage for 82 minutes. Ahmad Diallo was ill and so missing, and Hannibal Medbury went off injured, uh, an injury to his left arm after 22 minutes. He, he went off in the wake of the celebrations for Harvey Neville's opening goal. Uh, that's Neville's first goal at this level for United. Alvaro Fernandez, Shola Shoratire, and Ethan Galbraith stood out. Uh, Fernandez has four assists in his last four Premier League two games. He's an industrious and quick ex-Real Madrid fullback and his decision making is impressive. He knows when to cross early and when to wait for more runners to come into the box and in truth he should have had more than one assist in United's comfortable win. Shoratire, excellent. He's had a, a busy couple of weeks signing a professional contract, scoring a hat-trick last week against Blackburn, scoring again against Arsenal and is now training with the first team alongside Ahmad Diallo and Hannibal Medjbri and he controlled the game in their absence. Uh, he's always quick to play through balls when the runs are being made and his movement is excellent. He was involved in all three goals and it was Ethan Galbraith's best performance in 2021 after a tricky start to the year. Anthony Alanga, a key player at the start of the season for the under 23, he's been missing through injury and he'll be back in about four to six weeks according to the Athletic. He's out of a protective brace and will start training on grass this week. Joe Hugo um, continued his immense goal-scoring form, uh, but in the under-18s, it was the badge-kissing Charlie McNeil who provided Derby joy for Manchester United against City under-18s. He only rejoined from City last summer um, and scored all four goals for United at a windy Carrington on Saturday morning with City hitting two in reply. Great win for United. 12 goals in 11 under-18 Premier League games for Charlie McNeil and the three points from that game extends United's lead at the top of the under-18 Premier League table. Under-16 play, Daniel Gore made his debut at this level on Saturday. And another quick injury update, Willie Camboala and Omari Forson are both missing with ankle injuries. Neither are back in training yet. In low news, Dylan Levitt will play the second half of the season in Croatia, joining NK Istra 1961 on loan. Their transfer window stays open after England and it seems like it was a late opportunity for first team football to help his development and his chances of making Wales' Euro 2020 squad. Uh, Jake Carney enjoyed a good weekend at Portadown FC who uploaded some of his highlights onto Twitter, some brilliant saves in there. 
against Cliftonville. Ted Mengi made his debut for Derby County, coming on as an 86-minute substitute in a 2-1 win against Middlesbrough. Ethan Laird's impressive form at MK Dons continued. He's their first-choice right wing-back, played 166 minutes over two games against Rochdale and Hull City over the last week. Diego Dallo, not enjoying his time at AC Milan so much, made headlines with a poor display in Milan's 2-0 defeat to Spezia this weekend. James Garner had another decent game for Nottingham Forest. United's head of loans, Les Parry, had explained this week why Garner heading to Forest, citing the influence of Chris Hewton, Nottingham Forest manager. They're doing well at the moment and a really stable place for Garner to be, and he's doing well. No game for the under-18s this week, but the under-23s play next Monday against Everton at 7pm. The women, meanwhile, United had a tough defeat away to Manchester City in the Women's Super League on Friday night. It was a cold night at City's Academy Stadium and both teams wanted to narrow the gap to leaders Chelsea. Lucy Bronze put City ahead in the first half from a corner and Lauren Hemp and Caroline Weir scored in the second half to secure the game for the citizens. Weir's goal was a wonderful chip. Uh, She has a habit of scoring outrageous goals against United who now sit six points off Chelsea and third in the table dropping below City after Friday's result. Disappointing game but United are still just about there in the title race in the Women's Super League, but it will be very difficult from now. Right, Jack, Real Sociedad has, has come round quickly. Um, I remember thinking a couple of weeks ago, it's, it's weeks away until until the Europa League's back. Um, to be fair, it was weeks away, but I was thinking it was more weeks away. It's, it's the nature of this season. It's just endless games and endless games. Um, and in truth, it, it's come round so quickly that I haven't watched Real Sociedad in recent weeks and I know little about their team compared to perhaps the first half of the season where I was at, I, I quite enjoyed watching them last season so I watched them a few times at the first half of the season they are a good team it's difficult to say what I'm expecting from them because I haven't watched them recently and they've had a couple of changes in terms of their starting 11 uh, Alexander Izak has kind of been in and out of the team over over the last few months but they come into this off the back of a few wins played Hestafe at the, the weekend when Isaac back in the team scored uh, the only goal of the game they beat Cadiz 4-1 before that uh, we could come up against a, a front line of Isaac up front with David Silva behind um, and possibly Adnan Yanazai on the wing it would just be so United to be haunted by, by Adnan Yanazai playing for a team that David Moyes used to manage as well yeah, that, that really would uh, yeah. just be typical I think I mean, I I don't know too much about Sociedad. Isaac is probably the player that I I know the most. And just from w- the little that I have seen of him, it feels like the kind of striker that could cause us some issues. I know. Physically, <laughs> he's, he's he's able to, to dominate defenders, which doesn't bode well for, for Lindelof being in that team if he's playing. I think the biggest thing here is what kind of team United set up with. I, I said this about the West Ham game last week and we ended up going relatively strong across the pitch with only a couple of changes. I, I imagine that we will probably go into this game with a lot more changes than we did at West Ham. The Europa League, although it's a competition that we want to win, I think our our league position probably dictates that we aren't quite so reliant on winning the Europa League as we were, say, when we won it under Mourinho. So I expect at least until we get, if we get to, say, the quarterfinals maybe, I expect us to probably have a pretty changed lineup. But I think it should be a good game. Sociedad are a good team capable of, of some very good football. They were high flyers in La Liga towards the start of the season. They've fallen down a little bit now, partly on account of other teams catching up in terms of the number of games. But they're a dangerous side. This was one of the more dangerous draws, I think, that we could have got at this stage of the Europa League. And I think it'll be a good game. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I do. In terms of their threat, 
d- defensively, they, I mean, their their back four isn't the strongest part of their team. Uh, Premier League fans will recognise Nacho Monreal at left back if he starts, um, which he he tends to do. Um, and I mean, United have the chance to get some pace and, and get behind that Sociedad back line. On the other hand, that's exactly what Sociedad will do to United with uh, Yanazai and Oyazabal on the wings. They've also got Christian Porto, who could start, who's a, I mean, a, a very quick player. Um, and Isaac, who's, as you say, uh, a physical but a, a good finisher. And I think Solskjaer might go with Eric Bailly to try and counter that with a, a get, get a bit more pace in United's back line. You say... I, I, I'm not sure if we will see. I, th- I think we will see changes, but certainly not. A, I think it'll be the kind of changes without being a weakened team. I expect Bruno Fernandes to start, for example. Um, I would like to see Fernandes start with Van der Beek um, on Thursday night. And I, I think Greenwood will play. I think maybe Cavani won't play. Um, but yeah, it's uh, Ahmad Diallo could come in, although he was ill at the weekend, uh, could come in to, to be involved. And I'd, I'd be very up for that, very, very excited by that. But yeah, Sociedad will have attacking quality. They've got um, Marino and Iramendi in central midfield. So they're not going to be easy to get out on the counter-attack. But I think it it will be, I, I, I can kind of, I'm predicting a draw away from home. And that would be, pretty good result to bring back to United yeah draw especially a score draw you take from United's point of view a nil-nil wouldn't be ideal but any kind of score draw you always take that away from home in the first leg in Europe I don't know I don't know I would like to see Van der Beek and, and Fernandes start together I think that is something that would be really intriguing for me we've been saying for a while that we wanted to see that because Van der Beek I don't think at least in the way that we play at the moment is not set up to thrive as the sole number 10, the sole creator in this team. He's so different to Fernandes. I think it, it requires both of them in there. I'd be a little bit wary. I, I just think having seen how how fatigued that we've looked recently, I think that there are so many players that could do with the rest, whether it's Rashford, Fernandes, Cavani, Maguire, maybe even Wan-Bissaka, maybe even Shaw. I imagine that Tellez will probably start a left back. I mean, Solskjaer's been quite willing to rotate Shaw recently, given how well Shaw's been playing to try and keep him rested. He brought him off at half-time against Southampton. Yeah. Tellers played in the FA Cup at West Ham. So I think Tellers will probably start. I'm with you that I think Bailly might play as well. I don't actually know which one of Maguire and Lindelof he'll come in for. My head tells me Lindelof. I mean, Maguire starts every game, But Maguire, he? I think... I was going to say, uh, Maguire does normally start every game, but I wonder if this might be the moment, probably for the rest of the season, this is the most obvious game to rest him. Yeah, yeah. Because he, you, even the FA Cup games you're coming up, we're in the quarterfinals now, can't really afford to be resting people in the quarterfinals. You know, when else is Maguire going to have a rest? Unless you go Twanza by, but that's a, certainly yeah, a risk. Yeah, that is a risk. I, I, I quite like it as a partnership, but it's a, it is a big risk. Um, I know. So yeah, I'm, in, I'm intrigued. Well, you know, I mean, this won't happen. I'm going to throw it in, even though it, it won't happen, but I'd love to see a, a back five away in San Sebastian, you you let Shaw get rested by bringing Alex Tellers in at left wing back and you have a back five of Bay, possibly Twanzo, probably Maguire. So Maguire, Bay, and with McTominay as the central, um, the centre of that back three as kind of a defence, not as kind of a a deep box-to-box midfielder come defender to help. They're playing the Jordan, the Jordan Henderson role that Henderson's playing at the moment. Yeah, 
Yeah. And and then you have Wan Bissaka on at, at right back or even Brandon Williams if you want to give him a rest. But I just think it's it's a kind of game where it might be useful to have another ball carrier from deep as well as yeah. uh, a defensive presence against Isaac and, and, and some more pace in the back line. And then going forward, you can really play on the counter-attack. So maybe, yeah. And then uh, also McTominay being in that, um, that third centre-back role would mean it's more acceptable to play Van der Beek in central midfield because he's got that cover behind him. To that license to go forward a bit more and, and do what he does best, which is find space in that kind of strip just outside the penalty area. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. I, I mean, I don't, I don't hate that as an idea. As you said, it's not going to happen, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, we can it makes dream. sense as a way to sort of free up Van der Beek a little bit. I, I, I think if they do play together, Van der Beek and Fernandez, I'd be very intrigued at what sort of positions they take up, whether. Van der Beek will be asked to play in a slightly more withdrawn role as sort of one of the two midfielders in that, those deeper roles. Or if we play a sort of more narrow, just forward line in general with, say, Fernandez, Van der Beek, maybe Greenwood, maybe Rashford, maybe even Juan Mata uh, as the three in that sort of more forward role. I, I think that is where I would prefer to see Van der Beek play. I think that's where he's most effective and is able to pick up space better than when he's playing a little bit deeper. I don't know if Solskjaer will want to do that and will want to have such little attacking threat, but I'm intrigued. It it could be a good opportunity to sort of try out some maybe more unconventional combinations for us. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it will happen, but I'd like it. It was interesting that during the West Brom game, Solskjaer was um, shouting from the touchline to Bruno Fernandes to stop getting in Martial's space, which uh, related to the Van der Beek point in terms of how they'd play together. Fernandez does does like to roam. Um and it was interesting that Solskjaer was trying to stop him from doing that to stop getting in the way of Martial. Um we should wrap things up. Uh we've got Newcastle after that. I've, feels like it's difficult to preview before the Sausage Dad game because we don't know who's gonna play in what and uh etc. But Newcastle is a another game where United cannot afford to slip up and should absolutely be winning. But difficult spell, isn't it? It is, yeah. The game's come thick and fast. It's going to be another another case of trying to break down a deep block. Newcastle always seem to play well against us in recent years. I mean, they have they are now without Callum Wilson, who, I mean, the stats on how how many yeah. of Newcastle's chances have fallen to Callum Wilson are quite incredible. Yeah. So without him... There's no excuses for this one because they're, I mean, they're getting more rest, but they're playing tonight against Chelsea. So it's not like they're having a full week's rest and they're without their main scorer and almost only scorer. And they had, they do play well against us, but we beat them 4-1 early in the season. This is a, I mean, West Brom, there should have been no excuses either. And I guess there aren't. Newcastle is the same. Yeah. And this, I mean, yeah, this would possibly be even worse given that they really just don't have much of a threat going forward. I guess say Maximan, um, but he's coming off a, a pretty long injury layoff and without Wilson, they really don't offer much. And this is a good opportunity for us to, to try and put some of those recent worries behind the, behind us about playing against against deep blocks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Might be a game for Van der Beek and Juan Mata um, as it was in the away game. In the 4-1, which would, I guess, give a chance to play Bruno yeah. on Thursday and rest him against Newcastle, which could be could be an idea. Lots of ideas flowing about at the end of this episode. Um, thank you, everyone, for... <laughs> well, the last time we tried to rest Bruno in the well, Premier League, wasn't that when we were 
two well <laughs> almost two nil down against West yeah. Ham inside yeah. twenty minutes. Yeah. That was not a good experience. On the other hand, he came on and rescued things. But that's probably I, I don't think we yeah, can lie on that the one, anymore. The one that I've been I was surprised with recently was that Fernandez didn't get brought off in mm. the nine nil at Southampton. I know maybe Solskjaer wanted him to stay on and get a goal because he hadn't scored in a while. But to me, that was such an obvious time to take him off at half time. Yeah, he, he's played the whole. Well, I think he wanted to give Rashford some rest as well, and, and Rashford did come off. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Interesting. We will wrap things up there. Uh, if you're interested, coming out this week as a bonus episode for patrons is an academy special at the halfway point or roughly halfway point of the season, looking at the under 23s and under 18s and profiling Hugh Gill, Charlie McNeil, Shola Shaw Tire, and uh, Hannibal Medjpri as well. So if you're interested, you can sign up to our patron uh, to do so and find out how to do so. Go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. But otherwise, uh, we'll speak to you next Monday. The Newcastle game is a Sunday, 7pm. Horrible time for a football game. Should be outlawed in the United Kingdom, but there we go. Uh, For more from Jack throughout the week, you can hear from him on Twitter at at UTD Tate's T-A-I-T and you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 on the podcast itself as I say at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there thanks very much for listening goodbye Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.